0: Biblical Fellowship and Bad Fellows. There's probably some movie about bad fellows. I think that's the name of a song or a movie or something. I'm not familiar with it Uh, as I was thinking of the titles. Like probably uh, something better could be used. But this conveys the idea of what I want to talk about for this uh, uh, time that we have selected uh, this afternoon, this last lesson today wanting to think through uh, the, the thoughts of bad fellows as we have uh, tried to work, as I'm trying to work through this, in uh, at least from my logic, logical sequence, of it is our fellowship with God that is always important, and every other fellowship is only important in light of that. But when we have that fellowship with God and with His people, that is indeed a beautiful thing. But it needs to be just with his people. There are boundaries with that. But part of the difficulty is that sometimes people come in that seem like they are fellows and they're not good fellows. They are bad fellows. And so I want us to just think through um, one of the thoughts that I had. I wished I had done this a week or two ago is written the sort of a, um, an assignment for, for the group here to do uh, each individual uh, of if you were going to teach this lesson or preach this lesson, this title, what passages would you use? And, th- and this is one of the ones that I thought uh, about doing that with. What bad fellows would you think about in regard to fellowship? I'm not looking for you to answer out loud. Although I would find great interest in a- afterwards if ones that you have thought of, I don't have on my list. You know, the next time I preach this, I'll steal your ideas. And uh, it, I think it would help us to, to think through uh, not just the ones that I have, but, but others as well. So let's think about who uh, some bad fellows are that might affect our fellowship here. First off, Satan. Uh, That's probably ought to be, you know, the one that most quickly comes to our minds. And again, from the beginning of Scripture to the end, we find his involvement. Um, One of the things that I've done in my list of bad fellows to talk about this afternoon are people who don't always appear as bad fellows. That's where it gets tricky. You know, when Satan comes in in the red suit and the tail and the pitchfork, We know that's the bad guy. But Satan doesn't usually appear in that fashion. He appears as the gentle, benevolent, uh, kinder alternative to God. Has God said you can't eat from every tree? Well, from every tree except for this one. Well, that's because God knows that the day you do that, and I'm paraphrasing the conversation. But you see, Satan sort of portrays himself as the friend of Eve in that, and that God's being too strict And, you know, this is what you ought to do. Um, In Revelation, the 12th chapter, Satan is portrayed as a deceiver, somebody who is deceiving the whole world. And that's the hard thing about deception. I need to move on here. That's the hard thing about deception. It's deceiving. (laughs) Deception isn't obvious. (laughs) Maybe to somebody else it is, but that's the whole point of it. He's tricking us. We have to be on extra guard uh, against that. Uh, We have uh, other passages that are associating that idea of Satan being deceiving for example, if you're familiar with the, the book of Revelation, after Satan is revealed as the deceiver in Revelation 12, in chapter 13 you have the sea beast and the land beast that are talked about. And in those, those beasts, they look like the Lamb of God. But they speak like the devil, like Satan, the serpent. And so as, God, as, as Satan is going to be a deceiver so are his forces going to be deceivers. They're going to put forth that, that image. In Matthew 7, is verse 15? Okay, I did move that over far enough. I was afraid that I hadn't. Uh, verse 15, uh, you have the, the idea of wolves in sheep clothing. That's deceptive. False teachers don't come in as wolves. <laughs> you know, it, 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 that's not the image that, that we are given, and that's not reality. And so we need to understand that bad fellows often look like good fellows. They look like and they want to give the image of Christ or of Christians. And that's where we have to really use a lot of discernment. Uh, look with me at First Kings, the 13th chapter. You might be familiar with this story already. If you're not, it is fascinating. It's the time of the divided kingdom. Solomon has died. His son Rehoboam has taken over and Jeroboam has seen this who was an adversary to his father Solomon, uh, to Rehoboam's father Solomon. Uh, Jeroboam sees this as an opportunity to, to seize the kingdom that was being offered to him by God but he wanted to do it his way and as he gets the ten tribes to follow after him, and he sets up uh, altars in, uh, as an alternative to, to Jerusalem in Dan and in Bethel, in the northern part and the southern part of the, the nation of Israel, now the northern kingdom, God sends a prophet up to condemn him. And uh, that prophet then comes up in chapter 13, and he cries out in verse two as he comes up to, to the altar in Bethel, chapter thirteen and verse one, and he cries out, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priest of the high places who burn incense on you, and men bones shall be burned on you. And he goes on and he condemns Jeroboam and his actions. Jeroboam says, Seize him. <laughs> And as he does, uh, he is struck, uh, his hand withers, he asks the man of God to pray for him, the man of God does, and then the man of God comes back home. He'd been given instructions not to eat anything there and not to return by the way in which he'd come. Verse 9, for so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way, did not return by the way he came to Bethel. He's going to take another road. That's what he was told to do. And an older prophet, a prophet in that land, had heard about all of this. And so we pick up here in verse 11. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. What words did he spoken to the king? That would include those instructions, Right. Verse 12, "'Their father said, "'In which way did he go?' "'His sons, which had seen which way the man of God went and came from Judah, "'he said to his son, "'Saddle the donkey for me.' So he saddled the donkey for him, he rode on it, and went after the man of God, "'found him sitting under an oak. "'He said to him, "'Are you the man of God who came from Judah?' "'He said, "'I am. Said, "'Come home with me and eat bread.'" Verse 15, "'He said, "'I cannot return with you, nor go in with you. "'Neither can I eat bread, nor drink water with you in this place.'" For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way you are going. Now keep in mind, God told him that. It was very clear to him because he told it to the king. He stood up to the king. The king is like the red-suited devil. He's very obviously the bad guy. That didn't work. Jeroboam couldn't get him to eat bread or just to drink water, just to stay there. So... The red-suited devil isn't going to work on this man of God. And so what Satan has done is he's using this older prophet. He's the one in the slick suit. He's the one that comes and portrays himself. And so he says in verse 18, he said to him, I too am a prophet, as you are. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. That's such a... uh, I can't stand that last phrase in verse 18. It makes me mad to read it. But he lied to him. So the man of God, he heard the instructions from God. He quoted them back to to, to Jeroboam. He obeyed them as he's beginning to do. The old prophet entices him to come, he quotes, the scripture, he quotes the command again. There's no doubt that he knows what God's will is here. But Satan is slick. And the, this old prophet lies to him. This story in verse 18, he was a prophet, but an angel had not spoken to him. Verse 19, he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened, as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet, who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you. But you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place which the Lord had said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. He leaves and he dies along the way. What a horrible story. It's not fair. That's what I want to say. It's not his fault. He was lied to. But he had been told the truth. He had been told the truth by God. He needed to hold on to the truth. Even when we're lied to, we don't believe the lie. We've got to recognize that there are bad fellows. I just recently had a conversation with a preacher, and he was telling me this story about a guy that he's studying with. And as he's trying to just study the Bible with this individual, this individual wants to talk about his religious experiences. And he talks about, he said, the reason why I don't like studying the Bible is that that people can argue about that all over the place. But when I tell them about my experience, about the things that God has done to me, nobody can argue with that. (laughs) That's true. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know if an angel did this or didn't do that to him. There's no way that I can make an argument about his personal experience. But that doesn't prove anything. And so when the older prophet lied to him, the man of God was accountable for that. There are some bad fellows out there that will say, but God says, this is what God wants us to do. People will even say, an angel has spoken to me. And we need to not believe that. We need to hold on to what we know God has spoken. If we believe the lie, we will die with the lie. We have to see that there are some bad fellows like even this man who the scriptures call him a prophet, who God eventually uses to condemn this man. There's a huge twist of irony that he does receive a prophecy, but it's to condemn this man of God. When religious people come along and they might look really good, we can be tricked by them Maybe because we're looking for the devil in the red suit. We see him in the gross immorality of the world. But we need to see that sometimes what he's doing is just bringing in little things that are contrary to God's will. Um, one of the reasons why we should know that, look over at 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's such a powerful text. I say that a lot. It's not like the other ones aren't. 2 Corinthians 11, though, in verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Who's Paul talking about here in verse 13? There were people that had come to Corinth who were speaking poorly of Paul. They were saying all kinds of bad things about Paul. And so Paul's written this second letter to them. And uh, he's talking about his relationship with him and various other things through this book. But he deals with these individuals who are claiming to be even superior to Paul and claiming that Paul is, is a fraud for various things. And Paul says that they're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. That they have transformed themselves into apostles of Christ. Look at that. You see that word transforming in verse 13? Look at verse 14. No wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You you have this sense of transformers, and I haven't seen that movie either, but uh, uh, the, the ability to change, to appear as something else. Satan has done that. Satan has appeared as an angel of light. That's hard for us to picture Satan as appearing as an angel, of light, as, as this good reflection of God, light, reflection of God, uh, an angel of light. He's bringing forth enlightenment. That's how Satan has appeared. Well, look at all the teaching around us the, today. We see a lot of that angel of light transformation. And so his ministers, his servants, he's not talking about spiritual demons inhabiting bodies of individuals. He's talking about false teachers that have come to Corinth. They are the transformers. They appear as ministers of righteousness, but their end is according to their works. So these are people who had come and claiming to be really important, claiming to have authority, claiming to be speaking as God's people, spokespeople. Prophets, if you will. Apostles, they were claiming to be. And they were simply pretending that. They had put on another suit. And Paul calls them out for that. Do we think that we're better than the Corinthians? That that we're smarter than the Corinthians? That, That we wouldn't fall for such a thing? We need to be very cautious about that. It is quite possible that we can. One of the things when people... State things like that. Well, I would never fall for that. I, I would. I. I they, they would never trick me. Have you ever been wrong before? <laughs> I'm often tempted to ask that question. And uh, if you've never been wrong before, raise your hand. I'm afraid somebody somewhere would uh, do that. And then what would we do? Uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, we we acknowledge we've been wrong. So I can be wrong again. I need to be careful about that. I need to be cautious. Um, There's a passage that I think is, uh, and I'm not going to beat somebody up over this, but I think it's maybe one of the most misused passages in the scriptures uh, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and in verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Man, I hear that all over the place for parents talking to to their kids. Don't hang around those kids down at the corner because bad company corrupts good morals. The problem, and, and then what they'll say is, you need to come to church. The problem is, this passage is talking about people in the church. <laughs> it is a much more dangerous passage than just talking about the punks down on the corner. <laughs> it's talking about. Teachers who have come to Corinth and are saying that there is no resurrection. That's the context of 1 Corinthians 15. That's the bad company. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying it's okay for our young people to go hang around punks. I'm saying don't use this passage for that. Use Proverbs 1 for that. This passage is saying in the church, when somebody comes in with a teaching that is not from Christ, they are bad company. They are bad fellows. It is important that we not accept false doctrine. It may not seem like, you know, so what if there's if somebody says that they don't believe that there's a resurrection? I'll tell you what, this is not hypothetical. There are plenty of our brethren. What you and I would think of as brethren today. That believe that every resurrection passage in the New Testament is referring to something that already happened in 8070. Think about that for a minute. If you're familiar with the 8070 doctrine, the idea of these resurrection passages, everything has been fulfilled. That this is not a physical resurrection of the bodies, that's bad company, I believe. You're going to have to make that decision. You can listen to their teaching and you can decide whether I'm a bad fellow or they're a bad fellow. But we both can't be good fellows. I'll tell you that. One of us is denying a resurrection that 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about. So this is not hypothetical. Those brethren are all over the country that are presenting this idea that 1 Corinthians 15 has been fulfilled. There is no bodily resurrection. That ought to be a wake-up call for us. In verse 12, he said, Now if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Does the resurrection from the dead, you know, is that a, something that we should split over? So, something that, that we should divide over, that we should not have that unity? That's a bad unity? Yes, it is. Because, as Paul points out, that's going to corrupt us. That's going to cause people to, to live in such a way of verse 32. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Listen, if, if there's no consequence after this life, then you know, we can do what we want. That's the conclusion to that. Gross immorality will be what, where that will lead. Maybe not everybody will accept that as the conclusion, but that is the conclusion, Paul says. And so we can't accept false teaching. And this would just be one example of that that we can't accept. And so there's fellowship. And we need to to think carefully about that fellowship. It's important that we have this fellowship in Philippians, the first chapter. Look how Paul describes our fellowship, this good fellowship. in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul talks about their fellowship in the gospel. That's what it comes down to. It's not fellowship in the things that Joe thinks is important or Grady or anybody else. It's fellowship in the gospel in the good news of Jesus Christ. And And the gospel is not as... Uh, again, this would be another false teaching. Some people say, well, the gospel is just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It, it doesn't have anything to do with, with commands and so forth. Uh, I'm wondering what they do with the passages at the beginning and the end of Romans that says, for the obedience to the gospel. Uh, the, the gospel is not just that fact that Jesus died and was raised. It's what that fact commands us to submit to him in all of his authority. And so we need to have an obedience to the gospel. At what point, as we think about those boundaries and recognizing that there are some bad fellows that will come in, um, this may be one that will not be that difficult for most and hopefully all to to agree on uh, with baptism. Somebody that comes in and teaches something different about baptism would that be a bad fellow? In Luke, the seventh chapter, a helpful passage in my mind in regard to that. This is, this is discussing the baptism of John. It says in verse 28 that Jesus talking about John the Baptist being that messenger. He says, "For I say to you among those born of women there's none greater than John, no greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he." When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified uh, God having been baptized with baptism of John. But verse 30, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. You see, those who rejected the baptism of John the Baptist were rejecting the counsel of God. That's what Luke says. They rejected the counsel of God by not being baptized. Now whose baptism is greater, John's or Jesus'? We know the answer to that. If rejecting John's baptism is rejecting or, or not being baptized by John meant rejecting the counsel of God, how much more false teaching concerning the baptism of God himself uh, uh, being baptized into Christ. You see, We have a lot of religious people that teach that baptism is not necessary for the forgiveness of sins. While we know about a dozen passages that teach that it is. Clear passages. Not something that we have to draw some kind of of conclusions to. But where he says, believe and be baptized Be saved. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Over and over. Arise wash, and be baptized. Having your sins washed away. Uh, Over and over. Baptism is clearly shown as necessary for salvation. And so if somebody comes in and says that baptism isn't necessary, what that makes them is a bad fellow. We cannot have fellowship with that. One One real struggle, I think, especially for smaller groups, is to accept that kind of teaching, not in the church, but present it as acceptable. And so we have religious friends who proclaim this and live by this, and we act as if they're okay. Now, I'm not saying go beat on them or push them into the water or something like that. But I'm also saying we need to not pretend like they are Christians. They are not. They can be good citizens in a, in a sense, but we need to not have fellowship with them. To have fellowship with practically every denomination, because almost all of them teach that baptism is not necessary, is to have fellowship with people who are, according to this passage, rejecting the counsel of God. That seems pretty important to me. Uh, Man, it's really tempting. In Elmira, where I live, nearly all the religious groups get along. And I mean, it's like a club. And when, when we moved there and we started trying to buy this property that we're trying to buy and it came out in the, the newspapers and even in the local news, uh, somewhat embarrassing that I was interviewed for that and so forth. But but it became pretty well circulated, especially amongst religious people, that this guy is trying to buy this property and he's going to have uh, retreats there and, and spiritual activities and things like that. And I got calls from ministers of various churches in the area wanting This fellowship. And so what I'm trying to do is use that as an opportunity. Hey, I'd be happy to get together and to study with you. I'd be happy to talk with you. But I'm not going to pretend like we're a part of a big club and that what they're doing is okay. And I'm not going to promote what they're doing. That's one of the things that they've been wanting is that now that I've got a little name recognition, I'm the the new name in town. uh, And so I've got some name recognition. Some are wanting me to promote their activities. Well, I can't do that. Even if those activities in and of themselves may be good, I have a good friend of mine, Marty Broadwell, he likes to point out, there is absolutely nothing that is in and of itself. And so whenever we say that phrase, we should always pause. Well, in and of itself, this is. But can you think of anything that is in and of itself? That, that isn't it connected to anything else? Maybe in some scientific test tube, there's something somewhere. But... but our lives are not in and of themselves. And so we need to not have fellowship with those who are rejecting the counsel of God. I hope I'm not making that point too strong that it turns somebody off, but I hope I'm making it strong enough that it's really clear. Because that's a huge temptation when, in a smaller group especially. We, we, we almost want to reach out and accept and be accepted by a larger group. So we have to be really careful about that. Second John uh, the 7th chapter. 7th verse, chapter. Second John 7. It's almost as if I've been talking for three hours. Second John 7. For many deceivers have gone into the world. There's that word again, deceivers. We saw that all over these passages, right? For many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. He who greets him shares in his evil deeds." Now, I'm trying to picture this scene. And maybe I, don't, maybe I don't have it right. And again, I'm happy to hear your, your take on this. But here you've got this Christian. And on the other side of the door, you have somebody who is denying Christ having come in the flesh. That He didn't really come in the flesh. The, that God would not take on fleshly form is the, the idea of those that are on the other side of the door. And the command is, don't have fellowship with them. If they come to you, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring uh, this doctrine, do not receive him in your house. If they come with the doctrine that, that Christ did not come in the flesh, if they don't come with the doctrine that Jesus did come in the flesh, that the Word took on fleshly form, dwelt among us. If they come with any other doctrine, they're standing on the other side of, of that door. And he says, don't greet them. Do not receive them into your house, nor greet him. He who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now, I struggle with exactly how to apply this. But I will tell you something. It has to be applied. You know, we may not agree in every application of this. But we cannot ignore that it is a command and we have to seek how do we make that application. So does that mean that if my plumber has this doctrine, but I've got a problem in my bathroom, that I can't let him in to fix the toilet, I don't want to make that application for multiple reasons. but I don't think that that's what he's talking about here. I think he's speaking of it in a spiritual context. I don't think he's saying that, that we can't have any connection with these people, and if, if we're working at a, at a restaurant that we can't serve them, or if we see them in the store that we can't talk to them at all. But we need to make it clear that I am not going to receive that doctrine. I am not going to greet that as if that's okay. This really struck home for me a while back, several years ago when it first hit me, I guess. We were in Brazil, and some people were coming door to door uh, wanting to to talk about Jehovah. And I invited them in. We studied. We studied about three or four weeks. And uh, eventually, after showing them several passages, in particular John 20 and uh, verse 28... Where Thomas it says that that Thomas said, uh, "My Lord and my God," and Jesus said, "Because you believe, because you have seen, you believe." I said, "We went through about three studies of this, me making this point that Thomas saw Jesus resurrected and called him My Lord and my God." And their response was, well, yeah, Jesus is, is Lord and, and Jesus is a God. Said, That's not what he said. He said, my God. I said, Thomas said that. I can say that. Can you say that? Said, oh, no. And we went round and round and tried to be patient with each other and so forth. But eventually, after about three studies, they said, well, this is, we're just wasting our time. We, we, we need to, to not do that. I said, well, we can't get past this. If you're denying Jesus Christ as being your God, I can't get past that. This is a very clear passage, I believe. Jesus is my God. And so they picked up their Bibles, and they closed them, and they went to the door. And he said, well, I I guess this is it then. And he stuck out his hand. And I said, this pains me, but I cannot shake your hand. I do not want you to think that we are in fellowship. I'm not mad at you. But in this situation, I cannot greet you like that because I want you to understand that I think you are a false teacher. I oh, that, uh, I don't like confrontation. I, I feel like McFly in Back to the Future. You know, uh, confrontation gives me stomach aches. It, it was a horrible feeling. But I, sometimes I have to have those horrible feelings in order to obey God. I cannot accept false doctrine. And we have to make that really clear. And that's going to make us unpopular with some people. But we have to be willing to stand for the truth. One last passage this afternoon. Turn with me to Acts 11. I think one of the keys about having fellowship is having the eyes of God. And I hope I can explain this well fellowship with with God's people is a beautiful thing it's what God wants but we have to make the proper distinctions and sometimes we're going to struggle with that sometimes we're going to question that sometimes we're going to wonder did I do that right or did I not and and we've got to do the best that we can and move forward and keep trying to study and and ask for for help from other people but this passage I think is really helpful to keep in mind when it comes to biblical fellowship. Up to this point, it had just been Jews being uh, converted. Uh, The gospel had begun in Jerusalem, had gone uh, through Judea and Samaria uh, because of the persecution according to Acts 8, verses one through three. But in Acts 11 and verse 19, now those who were scattered after the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, Greeks in other words, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he had come and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. He was a good man, full of fe- Holy Spirit and faith. A great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with a church, taught a great many people, and disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, belonging to Christ, Christians. You see the emphasis in this text, at least in one of them. At the end of verse 20, they preached the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, uh, in verse 21. They turned to the Lord, the end of verse 21, Barnabas came, he encouraged them to continue with the Lord, the end of verse 23. Great many people were added to the Lord in verse 24. And then you have the word Christians in verse 26, belonging to Christ. The emphasis is the Lord. That's what we want to do is bring people to the Lord. I think sometimes we have some of these difficulties with fellowship because we're thinking of the church as sort of the end game. That we have to get the church right and the the church is you know is what it's all about and, and it's not. It's getting people to the Lord. And so if we go back to that first lesson and think about it, its fellowship with God, I want to get I, I want to be in fellowship with God. I, I want to have God in my midst. remember going in front of me and my rear guard uh, Isaiah 529 I want I want to be with God and God be with me but I also want to help others And so it doesn't mean just like, Figuring out a way to get along, it means getting them in fellowship with God. That's what I want to do. That's why it's so important. It's not because I'm right about baptism or because I'm right about fried chicken or whatever. It's because I want them to be right with the Lord. That's what I need to care about. And then when it comes to my brethren, this is just phenomenal. In verse 23... And this is what I've thought about last night and, and today as I stand before you. When Barnabas, when he came and he had seen the grace of God, what does the grace of God look like? <laughs> uh, you know, Levi, can, can you draw me a picture of the grace of God? it be kind of tough, right? What, what, what color are you going to use? You know, how tall is it? How, how wide? Is it? You know, what's the grace of God look like? That's, he saw the grace of God. What did he see? He saw the saints there. He, He saw what I'm seeing right now. I'm seeing the grace of God. I'm looking at the grace of God. I need to appreciate that. When we see each other, biblical fellowship, we need to see God's grace. And how dare I destroy that or damage that in any way? I need to hold that in the highest of esteem. And when I really see that well, when I have the eyes of God, I can see the grace of God, then I am going to seek to help other people get as close to the Lord as I possibly can. That's exactly what Barnabas did. (laughs) I probably should have just taught this section and just left everything alone because this is really what I'm wanting us to, to walk away with is this idea that we have to have boundaries. We have to be careful of the bad fellows because it's about God's grace and bringing people close to the Lord. And if they're going to lie and deceive, then they're going to hurt that. And I need to not be a part of that. We'll pick back up tomorrow, 1.30. Is that right? One o'clock. Oh, I may start at one thirty. Um, uh, so, uh, good. Thanks for that correction. One o'clock, um, and uh, we're going to talk about fellowship in purity and fellowship in patience. Those are just a, a couple of the applications uh, that, that we'll talk about. But this is really, in my mind, this weekend is more of a dialogue starter. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the truth. I'm not the finality on on these things. Um, They need to get us thinking and talking more about how to have true fellowship with the Lord and with each other. Let's close with a prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for blessing us with uh, this afternoon. Uh, I speak with tremendous appreciation, God, for these individuals who have uh, given three hours of their day and of their life to, to come and to be a part of these studies, it's an encouragement to me and I pray that you would bless each soul that is here. Uh, help us all to uh, think carefully about your word and uh, those things that are revealed to us, particularly as it relates to, to unity and division, to, to fellowship and to deception. Uh, cause us to uh, meditate on these passages and to think carefully about how to apply them in our lives and in our congregations. Uh, bless us uh, through the rest of this evening and tomorrow uh, as we continue our, our thinking on, on these important matters. Uh, pray for your mercy and, and for your love, for your forgiveness of where we've fallen uh, short and the things that you expect of us. Uh, I pray your blessings upon uh, this group that is here assembled uh, as we uh, leave here, that you would be with each soul. In Christ's name, amen.